Um, I'm just finding where we were up to. Okay. All right. This is, we've been, we were talking about the large Dalid, the large Ayin and Dalid, the large Dalid of the Echad. Um, we spoke about Hashem Echad, that that ultimate oneness, that ultimate oneness, which is beyond us to, to contemplate, um, is also, well, we, we said two things. One is, I'm going to say them out of order from how we said them last time. One aspect was that the ayin and the dalit spells aid, testimony, um, and the letter ayin is I, meaning it's eyewitness testimony. The, that was based on the Sforno. And the Dalid, the way Rav Hirsch reads the Dalid, he says that the Dalid is angular, it's pointed, there's sharpness, there's attention to detail. It's, it's either the vertical stroke or the horizontal stroke of the Dalid. Whereas, whereas the Resh, right, because one, why is the Dalit big? So one explanation is so you won't think that it's a Resh. You won't misread it as a Cher when it's a Chad because that would pervert the entire meaning. That would literally undermine the entire meaning of saying Shema. Um, and the Resh is opposite. And there's a different Pasuk where a Cher, referring to another God, like another power, is spelled with the large resh, so that you shouldn't see it as echad. Okay, so there's a contrast being made between the dawud and the resh, the suggestion being that somehow there's a risk of confusing one with the other. Right, it's not, we just mentioned like, so you wouldn't see them as one or the other, but what that means is the Torah is telling us that you could somehow easily confuse the ratio with a dalit. So yes, they do look pretty similar. So that, I suppose, is one way. But it's, the point is that it looks pretty similar in its underlying meaning. Now, how could it look pretty similar? There's an entire world and life of difference between Hashem Echad and someone giving any credence to another force, having independent force outside of God. It's fascinating to me because there are other religions amongst whom we live um, who would claim to only believe in one God. And if you said, is he all-powerful, they'd say yes. And then they'll tell you how the devil is working against the interests of God. And you're like, well, but couldn't God do something about that? Right? That the, It's not actually crazy like well it is crazy it is crazy but we in fact are exposed to an awful lot of people who despite saying that they believe that god is all-powerful do believe that there are powers outside of god working in other directions so that's like one one thing that like when we're so exposed to it it's so easy to not catch that that's happening um but it also means that there's some kind of fuzzy zone hi good morning there's some kind of fuzzy zone where we need to watch out. The fact that the Dalit and Nechad is big is warning us. It's saying, be careful, you don't see El Acher, some other force. Be careful of that. 
So Rav Hirsch says you can see it in the physical shape of the letter. That's why that's what's enlarged. One is sharp. It's either this way or it's this way. And with the race, you have this gradual curve from the horizontal plane to the vertical plane. And in that curve, now we're fuzzy, right? Well, maybe it's not so bad. Does that really matter? That's that curve that he calls it like the pliancy of it, the giving way of it, the fact that now there's a sort of a space where I'm not sure, am I over here or am I over there? Am I going this way? Am I going that way? That confusion, that confusion is dangerous. And that confusion can take us away from a focus on Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. So, to give, I want, I want to give you an example of where we see this principle. Before we say that, if you cannot see clearly the difference between the Dalit and the Resh, then you can't testify, right? It's the Ayin. It's, you're testifying to what you see and know. When you say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, there is a testimony there. And that testimony is testifying to what you see and know. If what you see and know is fuzzy, then your testimony is fuzzy. It, and fuzzy testimony is not testimony. Right? If you ever go to a court or you go to a basin, fuzzy testimony is not, not testimony. Okay? We've talked about this a couple times recently, um, and without going into like a whole discussion of it, Right? We all know women don't testify in Beisden. And this becomes like some kind of battle cry. Like, what? You don't trust women? Okay, so if, if men didn't trust women, they couldn't eat without cooking it themselves. Like, right? So clearly, Jewish men have to trust Jewish women. We trust them as our mashkichim all the time. Um, it happens to be I've testified in a Beisden. Okay. It just, I wasn't testifying in a court of law that was judging a case. It was a question of someone's reputation. Okay? And they require testimony for the reputation, had to do with the ksuba, and for that you could have a woman testify. Okay, so why? Well, how could that be? Women are known for having bina yasera and datan kalos. There's a lot of different types of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. There's chachma, there's bina, there's das, there's haskel. Okay? Women are considered to have an abundance of bina, way more bina, way less das, and men, hopefully the other way around, I can't say I actually can, at the top of my head, think of any source for saying it, but presumably. Okay, so what's bina? And we talked about this, we're not gonna have a whole lesson on bina. Bina is mevin davar mitoch davar. That's the simplest definition of bina is you understand one thing from another. You can understand more than what you've been shown or told. You can see there's something deeper. You see the person running, and you have like, uh, Rabbi Orlowick calls it, it's like when you put numbers into a calculator and you get the answer. You can't really show your work. You can't say step by step how you got there. You got the right answer. But the workings of it were hidden. It's that part of your thinking that happens more in the subconscious where two plus two equals more than four. Not because you got the wrong answer, but because you saw even more than what you were shown. There was another two hidden in there, and you sensed it, and you put it together. That ha 
That is not a good place to have somebody testifying, did the guy do it or not? Because if you see somebody holding the knife and it's bloody knife, you have to be able to say, this is what I saw. And what I assumed was such and such something else. That's not women's strong point. Women's strong point is they see it and they understand exactly what happened. But you can't testify to that if you didn't see it. Okay, it's not a shortcoming, it's a difference. So there's a place where this plays out. There's a, 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 I was gonna say a perfect example. It's more than a perfect example. It's the source of all of this. What happens if the Dalit and the Rish get fuzzy and how does that affect your testimony? So I'm afraid I, I added some of these notes afterwards, so they're not perfectly in order now. Back in Bracious, because anytime you want to know the beginning of anything, you go to in the beginning. Ula Adam Amar. By the way, I'm just going to say this, nothing to do with what we're talking about. You know, everyone talks about the curse of Adam, the curse of Chava after the sin in Ganetin. So the word curse is. Of course, the bad translation, Aror, is used for the snake. It's not used for the people. Just throwing that out there. Okay, it's food for thought. To the, to the man, Amar, Hashem said, Ki Because you listen to the voice of your wife, which in other places in Torah is a good thing, and you ate from the tree, which I had commanded you, saying, do not eat from it, the earth is cursed or restricted. Ba'avurecha. I, I, we could just talk for weeks about this basak. Ba'avurecha. On your behalf. Okay? It does not mean because of you. Ba'avurecha means on your behalf. Be'itzavon. With frustration. So if Hirsch translates itzavon, he says it's the, the fact that things don't go smoothly. Right, you try and do something, and like you get a lot of, you get red lights, you have effort, you have hailstorms that wipe out the crops, you have things, things that you're doing what you should be doing, and it still doesn't necessarily go. Okay, beats a phone with frustration. Tochlena, you shall eat from it. all the days of your life. Vekotz vidadar, and thorns and thistles tatzmiachlach will sprout for you. Ve'alchalta as esev hasade, and you shall eat grass of the fields. By the sweat of your brow shall you eat bread, until you return unto the land, because from it were you taken. You are made of dust, and to dust shall you return. Thorns and thistles will sprout for you. So you're, this is a description of what it means to to eat with frustration all the days of your life. The restriction that will happen on earth is that you will have to eat thorns and thistles, or thorns and thistles will sprout. You're trying to get food, and what you get is thorns and thistles. And now you've got to deal with that. You've got to sift it out. You've got to, okay. What happens if you say, look, it's not such a big deal. Just leave it in. They're small. Multiplies. <laughs> They'll multiply, right? So if you don't get rid of them quick, 
they take over the field. But what if like you just harvest it together with the grain? It hurts. <laughs> okay, you can't really eat that way. You can't leave the thorns and thistles inside the grass and make that part of your bread, no matter how small they are. The thing about a kotz, a thorn, is it's really small, but you kind of can't ignore it. <laughs> that little thing on the corner of the reish that makes it be a dalit is called the kotz. We talked about this. It's the kotz. It's called a thorn. That, that's what it's called. It's the shape of it. It's this little pointed bit. It's shaped like a yod. And it's that little pointed bit. The Bnei Yisachar says, and this is why I was just looking up to see if I have a copy at home, but I don't have it here. He says, what is the message of a Kotz? If the Kotz is the message that tells us the difference between the Dalit and the Resh, and the Dalit and the Resh is the difference between seeing with clarity that Hashem is the only God and the only force and the only creator of the world versus the Resh, which is not seeing that, with clarity, meaning you suspect or you attribute unintentionally other forces like it was your own fault or uh, somebody else did it to you or these things happen, right? Sometimes we have to fight those thoughts away. We have to remind ourselves what's the truth. The difference is a kotz. So what's a kotz? What does a kotz mean? Kotz has to mean something. So he points us, well, I'm not going to go. Let, let's not look it up for a second. He points us to the Pasuk that we have to fight Amalek and that Amalek is always at odds with Hashem. Milchamala Hashem ba'amalek midor dor. A war of Hashem with Amalek from generation to generation. This all ties in, really. It's not Purim time, or it would be a Purim shear, and we would talk about how this comes with Hamin Ha'etz Hazeh, right? Where, where, does, where is Haman mentioned in the Torah? From this tree, which I told you not to eat, did you eat from it? It's the same passage, okay? So the Gemara asks, what tree was that? Not the Gemara, Chazal asks, what tree was it that he was hung on? What kind of tree was it? So it suggests all different types, and he says, uh, the te- Hashem said to all the trees, who is worthy that Haman should hang on this tree? So the te'ena, the fig tree, says, me, because I have this special quality that bikurim come from me. And the geffen, the vine, says it should be made of, vine, of uh, grape wood because of my role in Mitzrayim. And the rimon says, because the Jews have the fragrance of the rimon. Every one of the trees comes and says, you see how beautiful the esrog, right, the tapuach, Everything comes and says, look, I have some beautiful quality. Give me the zechus of having Haman hang on me. And finally, the kotz tree comes, the thorn, thorn bush, I guess, right? And says, you know, Hashem, everything you created in the world, l'chvodcha barasa, for your honor, you have done it. This is the very end of Avos, very, very end of, of Perkei Avos. Everything, it said in third person in Avos, everything you created in the world, you created for your glory and honor. 
So all these other trees are coming and telling you, all these other kinds of wood are coming and telling you what wonderful quality that they have that's in your honor, and therefore it would add to the, to the beauty of this mitzvah of hanging Haman. There does not appear to be any purpose for me. So, since Haman is a kotz, he's a thorn, and I'm a thorn, hang him on me. Hashem says, oh, that's good. Okay. Okay. So the message of, <laughs> the message of the kotz, this to me is like fascinating thought. The message of a thorn is everything Hashem has created in the world has a purpose. Even if it looks like it doesn't, by the way, as the thorn said, even Haman, he has a kind of a purpose too. He glorifies the name of God unwillingly. This is something that um, I neglected to mention in my Shabbos year about Paro. But one of the aspects of the story of coming out of Mitzrayim is you can, everything was created to glorify Hashem. You could do it willingly and you can do it unwillingly. But by golly, one way or another, we all have a purpose here. And the purpose is to give honor to God. Okay, that's the message of the codes. And the milchama, the war of Amalek with us, you know what the nature of it is? It's midor dor, which, by the way, is not spelled with any vavs. Midar dar. Dar dar is the thistle. Kotz vidar dar. Yeah, yeah, that's the Bnei Sashar. Okay. So the war is, is fought over dar dar. From generation to generation, it's a war about a thistle. Dar dar is dalad resh, dalad resh. This Bnei Sashar says this. Okay. What is the war about? Amalek is trying to confuse the Dawud and the Reish. That is how they are fighting with us. Right? We know Amalek is a gematria of suffolk, doubt. Or how did, they, how did they fight with us? They cooled you off on the way. In other words, it doesn't matter so much. Don't get so excited. It's very nice to be idealistic, but someday you'll come down to earth. All those things that people want to tell you, right? That's dar-dar. That's thistle. That's saying, take your dalit, round it out. Not such a big deal. You have to be a little more flexible, a little more round. But when you do that, you don't have clarity. What you miss then is clarity and sharpness. Doesn't mean you have to be a, a sharp person. It means there's a sharpness that's missing. It's exactly what the snake did to Adam and Chava. Exactly in saying, well, I'm sure it's okay if you touch it, right? Probably he didn't mean that, or maybe he really only wanted it because, or, right? And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, now the result is, it's going to sprout up everywhere. It's like a whack-a-mole. You can't, you can never get it down, which is exactly what it's like if you're a farmer and you're dealing with thistles and thorns. You, they, they just keep coming. So this is a fight, all the days of your life. You're going to be fighting with kots and dardar. So the fact that twice a day we're saying Shema is because we do need to constantly, constantly do that. And the result of it is the testimony. The clarity allows us to have clarity of what is real and what is actual in the world and not be fuzzified by 
well, maybe not, sort of, kind of, Safek, Amalek, Karcha, right? That whole, okay. Rabbi Akiva, a description of Rabbi Akiva. Mishames Rabbi Akiva. From the time that Rabbi Akiva died, this is Gemara and Sota Memtes, Bitel Kavadha Torah. The honor of Torah was null. I mean, you think you've seen Kavadha Torah? You saw the Svarichi Rebbe, you saw Rabbi Yitzchak Yosef, or even his father, Ravavadi Yosef, and there was a secret service and people lining the streets. And you go to the Kosa, you could see these like Ethiopian Chachamim come. And they're like holding purple silk umbrellas over their head and people dancing and clapping. And you think that's Kavadah Torah? You ever see Rav Scheinberg go from, on Simchas Torah from the yeshiva back to the house and all the Bachram are dancing in the streets, and, and leading him there and, and him dancing in front of him and behind him. You think that's Kavadah Torah? Since Rabbi Akiva died, nobody's seen real Kavadah Torah. So Rashi says, what is the Kavadah Torah that Rabbi Akiva brought to the world? Like, what was it he did that created such tremendous Kavad HaTorah? Shehayanosein Libo, he set his heart, Lidrosh, to Darshan, Kol Kotz Vekotz Shokol Oz. Each and every Kotz, every Spitz of every letter of the Torah. Vekol Shekain, Tevos, Yeseros, Veosios, Yeseros. And all the more so words or letters that appear to be extraneous. He would darshan and explain what they were really coming to teach. V'zeu kavat Torah gadol. She'ein badavar levatala. This is the greatest kavat Torah. Because if you go to that effort, what it means is you understand that nothing is extraneous. Nothing is batal. Okay, just you realize there's like a perfect sort of a symmetry happening here. What's the message of the Kotz? The Kotz says, I have no apparent role here. If something is a thorn, what we mean is, in Torah, it's something that has no apparent value or purpose. And Rabbi Akiva said, no Kotz has no value or purpose. We just got to dig deeper to find it. You have to work harder to find the value or purpose if it's a kotz. And that is the greatest kavta Torah because you understand that the Torah has nothing that is just valueless. When Rabbi Akiva died, this kind of kavta Torah was, was to great extent lost. Now, I assume that then, based on what Rashi is saying, he's saying what he contributed, the concept that we darshan every letter and every kotz, clearly, we still have that. Rabbi Akiva contributed that to us. But his ability to do that is lost. Okay, so Rabbi Akiva, what happened when he died? It's quite a famous story, right? Says it here. It's a very interesting sefer on Rabbi Akiva. It is in English, though. You know, I feel sure that I printed it out for this share. Okay, never mind. Okay. Just quoting. 
so confused. When Rabbi Akiva died, there's, there are two, two places where the Gemara talks about his death that I'm aware of. Akiva died saying Shema. One, 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 one place it says that the, when they killed him, it was the time of saying Shema. Um, and there's a separate place where it talks about that he was smiling as he was saying Shema and that his soul went out with the word Echad. We did. We just talked about this two weeks ago or something. Did I give you this? That that we've done. Sorry, not our topic. But remember, I told you I was making a new one. So I think I did. Okay, this is from a different week. Let me just see. I'm going to give it one second here to find. Okay, the Rabbi Akiva, and I don't. So we will have to manage without it. Okay. Rabbi Akiva was taken out by the Romans. He was, he was caught teaching Torah in public, which was against the law. It was a, a capital crime. And so they took him and they wrapped it. They would put wet wool on him to cool him back off. And they were raking his skin with hot iron combs. So that, that's how they killed Rabbi Akiva. They scraped him with fire but they kept cooling it back off again with wet wool to make the torture last longer. And he said, Shema. Um, And his Talmidim, or uh, uh, these two different versions of it. So his Talmidim said, what, even even like at this point, you're saying Shema and you're smiling and you're, he said, my whole life, I wondered Oh, is it in the source sheet? Is that where it is? I can't remember. I know it's here somewhere. My whole life I was saying, how will I manage to fulfill? I, I, Rabbi Akiva is the one who teaches Bechol Levavcha, Bechol Nafshcha, Bechol Meodecha. Bechol Nafshcha means Afilu Hu Notelas Nafshcha. We have to love God with all of our soul, meaning even if he's taking your soul, then you still love him at that point. And he said to himself, would I be able to ha- be filled with a feeling of love even when Hashem is taking my soul? So now that it's, I'm actually having the opportunity to fulfill this mitzvah, like why would I not smile? What an achievement. So there's a lot of levels of learning that, and we, we've touched on it in the past, and I'm sure we'll come to it again. Rabbi Yehuda bin Bava said Rabbi Akiva was killed as an os. An os means like a banner, meaning it's, it's not a sign like an indicator, it's a banner. It's like something to you look and follow. When Rabbi Akiva, his death, saying Shema, is something that we emulate. It seems to be that he may have been the first one who sort of, not who said Shema when he was dying, because we see with Yaakov that it comes up, but sort of dying al Kiddush Hashem, being associated with saying Shema.
so then it it's possible and now I'm going back to what we talked about for the last two or three weeks the fact that Yehud Hashem the unification seeing the unification of God's name right we're talking about Hashem Echad the true unification of God's name is something that we cannot, in fact, understand. Ramchal said this is something we don't really understand, and therefore we cannot really contemplate it. It touches on that which is infinite. The idea that Hashem is always unchanging and always the same, and that even though we see different midos of Hashem, we perceive him as interacting with us sometimes, midas adin, sometimes midas arachamim, that in fact all of that is one, coming from him as one and consistent and always the same is something that we cannot truly understand and therefore we can't really contemplate it. On the other hand, there's something, right, we said that's also only that in life it cannot be contemplated. A person who is living, who is a part of this world where there is an aspect of the physical cannot contemplate or have any grasp of the oneness of Hashem. On the other hand, it is possible to get a glimpse of it if you're not living. So, for example, Moshe Rabbeinu, after the Chet HaEgel, asks Hashem, Har no es Please, Hashem, show me your kavod, show me your glory. And the Gemara says, what is he asking? He's saying, why is it that sometimes Tzadik Veralo, Rasha Vitovlo, Tzadik seems to have bad things happen to him, Russia seems to have good things happen to him. A tzaddik sometimes things to have, seems to have good things happen to him, and a Russia sometimes bad things. There's an inconsistency that appears to us through the filter of looking through this world at Hashem's interaction. Reverse says, what he is asking for is not an appearance which proclaims the presence of God, He's not saying, like, show yourself somehow, like, prove that there's a God. Moshe Rabbeinu knew there was a God. He was having a conversation with him. But which proclaims his almighty power and the special providence of his divine government. In other words, kavod of Hashem, the kavod of Hashem, the honor, the glory of Hashem is when his power is proclaimed. So remember, what did the thorns say? Everything that you created in the world, lichvodcha, for your glory, it was created. So everything in the world, when it itself is proclaiming God's power and might and, and strength, then there is the situation called covet of Hashem. Okay, that includes us. When we proclaim Hashem's presence and might and strength, that's called covet of Hashem. So it's going on that up to Hashem? The, there, 
well, let's say Shechina is considered gali kvodo, uh, a gilui kavod, a revelation of his kavod. But there does seem to be the suggestion that if, you know, <laughs> the Greeks were famous for saying if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to hear it, doesn't make a sound. And it's like, well, yeah, it does. But when it comes to kavod, there is a proclamation of God's glory. I don't know that it requires someone to see it, though. I'm thinking about that, and I don't know. It could be the proclamation can be made, even if there's no one to witness it. That is possible. But it also seems to be that if you, if you take note of it, then you have definitely increased glory in the world. So when we see, we have this idea with uh, animals, right? If you, anything created, if you look at it and you see in the creation of that thing, the glory and strength of God that he created it, the power, how, look how beautiful it is. Look how amazing it is Hashem created this wonderful thing. You have revealed glory into the world. And in truth, that's what we're all created for. We have different ways that we reveal that and bring it into the world. In our behavior, when my behavior is a function of God's will, when Hashem says, thou shalt, what's an example? Thou shalt make a bracha after you eat. And therefore, because Hashem said that I should make a bracha after I eat, and so I do it because he said so, my actions are a revelation of the glory of God. I become myself a vessel for that. The ultimate vessels were the avos, who are described as merkava, chariots, conveying the glory of God from heaven to earth. Right? The shechina is a conveyance of God's glory because it reveals his presence and strength into the world. It's a, it's a, it's a sort of a low-level revelation of God in the shechina, a low level for us. This is the ultimate thing we're like hoping for, but because it, ha- it is f- physically tangible, it can be seen with the eye. That's why, if that's our top key, mm. that's why being a Kiddush Hashem is so, so important. Why Kiddush Hashem is so important, and why there's certain Averos right, three, the three big ones, where it really would be better to die rather than to violate them. Because if the reason you're here is to reveal the godliness through your actions and your words and your choices, then so long as that is possible, that's fine. But if the action does exactly the opposite, worshiping a Vodazara, right, or Arayos, which is the human-to-human version of Avodazara. So you have exactly the opposite effect. Killing a person. Killing a person, you're taking a person who has a human soul with a, di- with a divine soul inside of this human being. The divine soul which is shining forth a chelak elokamimal. It is a portion of godliness from above. There is an aspect of God's glory that is shining out of this person that could be revealed into the world and you choose to end it. That, that is exactly the opposite of what you came here to do. You came here to shine that out of yourself. And now you think that it could be ended, it, regardless of whether it's yourself or somebody else's light that you are extinguishing. I mean, you can't extinguish the light itself, but you can hide it from being revealed into this world. So, so then the light, actually your life would be better without that. It is better for you not to be here than to do that. What does it do to the 
do they cause it to retreat, you're saying? Yeah. Uh, this is, I don't know. I don't have security clearance for these things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But we know it from within ourselves. Meaning, uh, the, what, it ta- what is uh, the, the, what the openings are, let's say, that, in, that are our share in helping Shekhinah to be revealed? I can't say, because Shekhinah is God's revelation mm-hmm. into the world. But we have a share in revealing godliness into the world that is under our control. The control that we have is the Bechira, the will to choose it. I heard a very nice mashal. This is based on a mashal I heard from Rabbi Zevlef. He says, you imagine, and we'll end with this, and then we'll come back to the, to the Midos aspect next week. Uh, not next week, in two weeks. Next week, there's no school. Um, Rabbi Lef says, imagine you're in a dark room, and hanging in the middle of the room, there's a light fixture. So what does this light fixture look like? Um... It's got one big light bulb in the middle. And then it's surrounded. So I just want to put a, put a marker here so I don't get where we are. Not that I know what it means where we're up to because this is a slightly discombobulated chair. But you have this light in the middle. And all around it, there's this fixture that's got maybe it's like a Tiffany lamp, sort of like a, a very modern Tiffany lamp. So there's a lot of different colored panels of glass. There are different shapes and holes in it that the light is shining out of. So you've got circles and you've got squares and you've got rhombuses and all kinds of interesting angles and shapes. Some of them are patterned glass and some of them are smooth glass and some of them are frosted glass, okay? So what you're gonna see on the walls is like a million different colors, hues, shapes, patterns. Almost like a kaleidoscope. Like a kaleidoscope, but okay. Each bit of light that is now being thrown against the wall, okay, you can study it and you can learn something about the light source that came through. Look over here, it's like how intense is it, okay? And I, I, okay, I have a company that does this. How big is the light spot? That will tell me how far away it is from the source, right? Because the farther you go, the more it spreads out. And okay, you can calculate the position. You can look at each one of these you can allow. Now, if I just look at the red circle, I can learn a lot about the original light source, but I'm not gonna know everything about it. If I look at a blue square, I'm gonna be able to find something else about that light source, not everything. But the more that I learn from each one of them, the more I can start to put together some kind of composite understanding of that light that's at the center. That light that's at the center is only one. And the light itself, that source of light has not changed despite the fact that what I'm looking at in some cases is a green triangle and in other cases is a yellow speckled pattern. It doesn't change it. Yet there is truth about it that I can learn from that study. Every one of us has a chelak elokamimal within us. We're a window. And God shines his light through us into the world. And we're all different if you would combine all the people together in the world, you'd have an Adam Harisha. You, there was a time when all of humanity was merged in this one soul of one person, okay, which is why if he'd gotten it perfectly right, you would need to have all these years of history and stuff going on, but okay. Each one of us shines a different light. If one of us were missing, in the world and in world history, there would be something missing in what we could know 
about Hashem's relationship with the world. We, the more people we know, the more people we learn from, the more we look at other people. This was that Rav Hirsch about, remember the, the source on the flattery and the line, that Hashem has created it so that we each learn from one another. Everyone has a different perspective on the, on the world. We all know something different about how Hashem interacts with the world if only because of our own personal experiences. And I need to understand that what I testify about how Hashem has been, through my knowledge of the world and my experience, contributes to the knowledge of mankind about God. When I proclaim Hashem's glory, when I proclaim Hashem's greatness, when I thank Him, I make a Sudas Hoda, and I thank Him for what He has done, and I speak out His power, then I am technically increasing Kavod Shemayim. And what that means is that that soul within me is shining out the light in its, in its aspect of the spectrum that it is able to shine out. It also means that when I look at other people, I realize that they have value. There's no kutz that has no value, right? And not only that, Rav Hirsch talks about this uniting of humanity. When umalaha aretz deya es Hashem, when the entire earth is filled with knowledge of God, right? We have the ability to speak. If we couldn't speak, God forbid, so what would we have? We could learn as much as we would want about our own lives, about Hashem's relationship with us and our relationship with him, but we couldn't share that with anybody else. And yet Hashem gave us the ability to speak because he wishes us to share that with each other so that one person can know more than what he could learn in his own lifetime of experience. I don't have to experience everything on my own to know something about it. But the part that I can speak out most authoritatively is that which I know from my own experience. That's edus. That is edus. Okay? Rabbi Akiva knew from his own life experience that Now he couldn't know that till he was actually dying. We didn't get to this part about the understanding that in life and in death, maybe that will be the next time in two weeks. But to understand that this idea that there is a, there is a rainbow of people and they're really all necessary to us. <clears throat> Ahaman will also glorify God, but it's against his will. Really, we don't want that. I don't want to be the person whose glorification of God is against my will. That's horrifying. What a terrible thing. So his, his testimony to God is in his death. Like, it, it, just if you could get rid of him, the world is better. That proves that God is so mighty because he saved us from him. Was Korach the same? Korach's an interesting case study. I don't know. Korach had children who were very great. Korach for sure. I mean, I think that's a, it's a good point. Meaning for sure, the, fa- the miracle of the death of Korach is a great sanctification of God's name. It's not so nice for him. <laughs> right? Nice it's not so nice for him. I'm saying we'd rather be the Moshe Rabbeinus than the Korachs. I say this as a, a for, coming from a family that is known to be descended from Korach. You'd rather be the Moshe Rabbeinu than be the Korach, right? Like, it's okay. Like, he, he had Shmuel and he came out from there. It's not a bad family, <laughs> okay? But, but that's not a good thing. That's not really what you... Like you said, our history needed him also. Yes, but he could have... He has, he ha- every one of us has the light 
the, the bit of light that shines through our window. It's going to shine through our window. So with his personality, he could have shown that light willingly. In which case, he becomes greater. He himself, I mean, in glorifying Hashem's name, this is sort of that Rav Schwab we did last time, where in your zero, you can then get in touch with the one and become greater. But if you seek to make yourself great, now you don't shine forth either one. That you have to be able, your Shemaim is about seeing God's greatness in light of your smallness. When you appreciate how small we really are, we can appreciate how great Hashem really is. And what that causes is a, a greatness of ourselves. That's the sort of joyous irony of it, is that there's a, a greatness of ourselves that can happen when instead of focusing on what we are as great, we realize that what is inside of us is something great. There's something inside of me that's amazing and great. Do I take credit for that? I can't take credit for that. I can take credit for my Bechira. I can't take credit for that greatness. And the more I realize that, the, the more of that greatness can come out. The more like open that window becomes and it can come out. But that's what we're aiming for. And that's where the Bechira comes in and that's where the testimony of Shema comes in. And that's where we each have that. And so we only Shema Yisrael. It's like everyone, everyone else, the whole nation should be listening to me. It's really true. When I say Hashem Lokeinu Hashem Echad, because when I say Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad, there's something about it that you couldn't learn from anywhere else. But it's also true that when you say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad, I need to hear it. Because there's something that you know about Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad that I don't know. Because the Echad part of it, the oneness, we, we, the best we could do is put it together from a composite, an olive, a ches, a dalit. <laughs> we, we put it together. That's what, but, but we really work on it. And that's why saying Shema is Kabbalah's Malchus Shemayim. It's welcoming Malchus Shemayim. That's called serving Hashem willingly. We want that. We want to be that. Okay, I'm going to stop there. I sort of got a little bit. I could call it off track, but we could have rounding it out. And it's Hashem. We'll, we'll still try to get to the legacy of Rabbi Akiva a little bit more. Next time, it's Hashem. Um, I better stick these quotes for that. our notes in. Because I didn't quite finish on that. I know. I think when I said it's when artichokes. Right? <laughs> the quotes. That's, That's a good one. Okay, so you have to tell him. This is another thing from the, from the B'nai Yisrael. Sorry? I have to share this. Okay, so. Quotes V'dardar. So another thing that the B'nai Yisrael says about the quotes and Dardar is. Um, so what's the difference between the Dawud and the Resh, right? The whole thing you got to tell the difference between the Dawud and the Resh. So what's the difference between Dal and a Resh? So a Dal is four, a Resh is 200. What's the difference between a Dal and a Resh? 196. That's Gematria Kotz. Mm-hmm. That's Kotz. Kotz is Kuf, 100, 6, and 90. That's nice. Okay. The Kotz is the difference between the Dal and the Resh. And what it boils down to is, does it have value or doesn't it have value? The Kotz has a value. The Kotz says, I just, I can't see it all this time. Everyone's caught. The Esrik's telling you it's value. The Rimon's telling you it's value. The Te'ena's telling you it's value. But I can't think of any value I have. Hang humming on me. <laughs> but it's almost like funny. Is a Kotz really, when you think about it visually, is a Kotz really a tree? 
No, the coats is the thorn itself. Right. Right, so it was so the wood, the wood of it. The taina so also, the taina so is the, the fruit of it. It's the wood that the coats comes out of. Yeah, I guess you could say that about the taina. The way that whole, yeah. that whole medrash is phrased, so it's the taina says, the rimon says, right. so maybe you could say they're all the fruit of their, of their tree, and the fruit of the thorns seems to be thorn, like the thorn bushes, the thorns. Right, the that's some we, kind of fruit. That's there would be that's nothing. The, that's Positive. No apparent value. Right. No apparent value is when yeah. what it produces is a thorn. Okay. But that's the frustration that Adam is being told. That, that's what we're told in Ghanedin. It's going to seem that when you work the land, what's going to sprout is kots and dardar. Right. Just stuff that like, has no value at all. I mean, isn't that life? That is I was life. to say that's like going through life. That, you know? that, yeah. That's what the Torah says. This is now what going through life is going to be like. Right? This is what going through life is going to be like from now on. And yet, and yet, and that is the curse on the land. The land is not happy about that. Because, you know, when Hashem told the trees to produce eights priosapri, right? It should be a fruit tree that produces fruit, meaning the whole thing should be the same. So the, what was produced was not exactly, uh, no, sorry, I'm quoting the wrong thing. Um, yeah, we're really, it's late. <laughs> when, I'm sorry, I'm quoting it wrong. The oceans, when Hashem created, collected together the oceans, they still keep seeking to overrun the earth. Okay, and Hashem, it says Hashem has to like roar at the waters to hold them back and say, no, you can't come here. The earth, when Hashem caused it to take its shape, it took its shape firmly. It, and therefore Hashem called the Adama Eretz. It's Lashem Ratzon. It did his will. It does his will. So imagine what it means for the earth now over here to not be able to produce what Hashem is telling, like what it's supposed to produce. It's very frustrating for the earth itself. Right? This is... Which is also... Yeah, thank you. The humility and equanimity that we go through life, that's the challenge because otherwise it could seem like a coast. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. We have the... Thank you. But we have the ability to change that and to make a choice right. to, to take it. What we do is see be. that there's value in that, in that right. struggle to have to, right. the sweat of your brow, you'll eat bread. Mm-hmm. Why? Why can't you just like sprinkle seeds once and they'll keep, you know, thorns, you could do that. Thorns and thistles, somehow you don't have to cultivate them and they flourish very nicely. And the things you do want to have, this is what the Pasuk is saying. Right. And the things you do want, the bread, the grass that you need to eat, the grain that you need to eat, all that, you have to sweat over it. Right, and, then, and our, of course, our biggest challenge in life is to realize that all of it, the good and the bad, it all comes from Hashem. It all comes. It purpose and right, so that's the Rambam talks about, like, that there was a switch from seeing Emerson and Sheker to seeing Tov and Ra. Mm. Right, we experience things as Tov and as Ra. Mm-hmm. But the Gemara tells us that in the next world, we'll see everything as Tov. Mm. Meaning that which appears to be Tov and that which appears to be Ra is is how we see the reality. Right. We see it as tov and as ra. Really, it's all tov ma'od. Right. right? And the ma'od comes from the effort we're now having to put in that we didn't, wouldn't have had to put in. Right? But really, before that, what we saw was emes and sheker. Is it yeah. true? Is it the reality or is it not the reality? Here, we're already talking about the reality and seeing it as mixed. Yeah.